Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Mel. Hi, Bola. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, fabulous. Busy morning as a mom. <laughs> Just got home from drop-off, and I'm excited to be here with you. Well, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Clever Girls Low Podcast and for making this session fit into your schedule. I know you're busy as a mom. And our time differences, we are three hours, I'm three hours ahead of you, so <laughs> you have a busy morning. But I'm excited to have you here to share your journey to financial wellness and to share how you're winning with your finances. And I'm so glad that we got connected. So you sent Esther an update on how you are doing. And for those of you who are listening, Esther is our incredible customer experience manager here at Clever Girl Finance. And she's focused on engaging with the incredible women like Mel who are inside our courses, our free courses and working on financial wellness. So Mel, you sent this really incredible testimonial. And I was like, we have to share just your journey and your story on the podcast. So I'm so glad that you accepted to be a part of it. (laughs) Thank you. I'm excited to share because I'm a very capable person who is well-educated and I'm good at side hustling and making over six figures. However, I've always had a mental block to banking banking and finances and mortgages and any of those terminologies, I just threw a block up and I don't know why I couldn't get over it until I found your book. And what I've done was the basic stuff. Like you go to the bank and you set up an art, a registered retirement plan, or you have a child or I had a child. I'll speak in first term about me. And I would set up a registered savings plan and I was tucking money aside and I had regular mm-hmm. savings But at the same time, I would go into cycles of debt where at some point I ended up living almost paycheck to paycheck. And then when I quit my six-figure salary to stay at home more, and then I worked part-time in my main career as a nurse, I was starting to slowly withdraw from my savings. And Mm. it was a trickle effect. You don't notice it off the top because you think to yourself, oh, well, it's only a few years. My child will get older and I can work more. But something clicked in me in the last year that I don't have a full picture plan. I have little pieces in place, but it doesn't make the whole puzzle. And I'm 38. My husband is 50. So Mm. I think him turning 50 this year also hit me that his active working years, his higher income earning years are starting to count down. 
And mm-hmm. we better have a better plan if we want to continue living comfortably or stay in our house as we get older. So what I did was on August 26th, I picked up a little notebook and I wrote a letter to myself. May I share with you? Yes. Yeah, this too. is the start <laughs> of my financial journey. And I, I don't journal a lot, but this one, I, I just felt like it was time. So August 26, 2021, a note to myself, dear me, this journal will be my new financial journal with focus, determination, clarity, and plan. I endeavor to fill my life with situations that can attract and maintain abundance with financial stability as a foundation. I am ready to receive joy, happiness, and good health. I will continue to live as a minimalist in terms of stuff, but I will live as a maximalist in terms of experience. Health, wellness, beauty, hobbies, and travel are high on my priority list, along with retiring early from nursing, or at least never returning full time. Love from me. And that was the start. And then I picked up your book and I was a very good student answering (laughs) your reflective questions. (laughs) Everything's highlighted, underlined, tabbed. And I actually put pen to paper answering your questions because I found it really solidified my goals of what I want in life. Mm -hmm. It brought more clarity. And with the clarity and you, I love how you refer back to why, why am I doing this? It makes everything else a lot easier. Not eating that, I'm not a steak eater, but like not even going for, I don't know, a fancy dinner at a a five-star restaurant. It makes it easier to say, you know what? I don't need that. I don't, I'm not any less of a person and I'm not enjoying my life any less if I just go for a quick little Vietnamese sub Mm -hmm. or even better yet, what I've worked myself up to since August 26th is I started packing my own lunch to work for the first (laughs) time. And I don't, and I realized I do not miss driving to find food, paying to park to find food, and then going in there and waiting for food and then paying the bill and the tip and the tax and then having to spend gas to drive myself back to wherever I was. Just little, little steps. If I Mm -hmm. put all my steps together and someone told me everything I needed to do, I would feel overwhelmed. But for some reason, working through your book, the one I started with was the ditch debt, save money and build real wealth. Step by step, everything was very doable. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so grateful to hear how that first Clever Girl Finance book has changed somebody's life. It just makes me so, I don't even know how I feel when I hear that. But I, I want to talk a bit more about what you said, writing that letter to yourself. And that's a beautiful letter. And we have something similar within our free courses. I don't know if you saw it, Mel. We have the Clever Girl Finance Creed where you basically print it out and you make a commitment to yourself about this journey you're about to undertake as you start your financial journey. And I'm I've, I'm very much like you where when I was trying to save money, when I was at the beginning of my own financial journey, I needed some form of commitment. And that's where the idea of that creed came from. This is what I say I'm going to do. This is what I'm promising myself to do. And for me, and I'm sure for you, that is something that's so important because it's about setting intention. And that's something that I talk about on the podcast, in the book, about setting the intention and committing to yourself to actually going with 
the action plan that you create for yourself and then having that commitment to refer back to so that you can hold yourself accountable because sometimes you may not have other people to keep you accountable or people don't take your goals as seriously as you do for yourself. Yes. And in your book, I wrote down one of your quotes to focus on growth and increase and where I am now and where I want to be. So it makes it very easy. And there's another one I wrote down in your book is don't let anyone kill your dreams before you have a chance to grow. And yes. I made a note to distance myself from negative people because not everyone needs to know my story because not everyone will be supportive and it may just quash my drive to move forward. So I love your little girlfriend advice in that one. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more because there are people around you who will just either they don't want to see you grow or they're not interested in your growth because they have whatever they have going on in their own life. And as a result of how they feel, they might say things that without even knowing affect you and your motivation and your inspiration to continue to pursue your goals. So keeping your goals to yourself, keeping them close to you, especially when there are people around you that you can't really trust to help you stay grounded is so important. And Amel, I wanted to kind of go deeper into your story. So you've shared a lot about your journey in the Clever Finance Group. And I wanted to talk about some of the wins that you shared. So you talked about paying off your Visa credit card and going from having an average of $5,000 a month to now going into a plan where you, you use it, but you pay it back fully each month. How did you go about paying off your credit card debt? What was your full balance? And you've, you've mentioned some of the, the motivations around why you want to take your finances seriously, right? You're 38, your, your husband's working years are, you know, the end of those working years are coming up quickly. But when you looked at your balance, how did you feel, right? Especially given that you had recently downsized your job from earning six figures as a nurse to now working part-time so you could be more present for your son and no longer earning six figures. Well, the tipping point was my visa hit for me felt really, really high. It was 6,400. And that was yeah. the, I think it was the August visa. And I sat back. I mean, ignorance is a bliss until you wake up and the shock value is astounding when it hits you over the head. So I was like, this, something has got to change. So at $6,400 on my visa, that was when I found your book. And I was like, starting to read through it, working my way through it. The following visa statement was down to 5,700. And then after I've, this is going to, big jump. At the 5,700 mark visa, I had to take it out of my savings again and put to pay it off. So it was paid off fully, but I could not continue doing that because it was withdrawing from my long-term savings and it was not sustainable. After I finished your book, my visa statement at the end went down to 1,600 and I had all the money I needed to from my paychecks to pay that one off. So that one came with a bit of a mindset shift. And for me, words is like marketing. It means so much. So I had an account that was called savings and I had an account that was just checkings. My savings was not a true savings. It was more of a transactional account because that's where I received all my paychecks and that's where I pay my visa from. So I re-nicknamed re it. I don't, I don't know why the power of words. I re-nicknamed my account online under receivables and payables. 
I wanted to start with receivables. So I know that's where I'm getting paid and that's where I pay things out too, whether it's- That's so smart. So it was really clear what the purpose of the account was for. That's right. When in your book, you mentioned, give your your accounts a goal, a purpose. I thought it was like, well, part of that should come with a name. So I say focused on why it's even there. And that was the why. So instead of letting my receivables and payables build up in dollar amounts because it was used to be labeled savings, I've now taken that volume down because I created a separate account for savings. And when I have money come into my receivables and payables, I automatically put it into another account that used to be called checking. I've renamed that biweekly allowance now. So I get paid biweekly, automatically some funds go into biweekly and that's how much I can spend for the next two weeks. And Mm -hmm. For the beginning, I had to lock my visa because I couldn't juggle all these new changes. So I locked my visa and just lived off my debit card under the bi-weekly allowance account where I could just mm-hmm. tap it. And then I was getting better. So I unlocked my visa. And if I, say, put $20 onto my visa, I would go into my bi-weekly accounts and transfer that $20 back into my receivables and payables. So it was sitting there waiting for me to be payable to my visa. I love that. And I love the idea of locking your visa. I will be honest and say, I do that myself as well, especially when I get to the point where I'm like, okay, Bola, listen, you're you're going to pay this balance off at the end of the month, right? And we're kind of teetering at the edge of (laughs) overspending. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to lock the visa. (laughs) We're going to freeze the account. And so when you go to try to spend it, you're going to get declined and embarrass yourself because you have to pay that bill next month. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I I find I do the same thing too. So I'm still in this transition stage, but I'm finding this new system works for me. But as I get close to going, hmm, okay, my visa balance is kind of creeping up. I know I have the money in my monthly allowance, but for some reason in my mind, in my mindset, I am much better at not spending out of my allowance check, check my allowance checking account. So I will lock my visa and go, well, what I have is here. Even if I could transfer into my receivables and payables to pay my upcoming visa, for some reason, I spend less when I, when I take that extra step out of the way. And that's so smart. It's so smart that you have specific structure for your accounts where you say this account is for receivables and payables. This account is for my allowance. You have an account that is for treating yourself or investing, like just really being clear. And it's not to say you need to have a billion accounts. It's about creating the number of accounts that work for your life, right? I think I have about, I don't know, I have a good number. So I have my checking account, which I use for bill payment. I call that my bill payment account. I have my savings accounts, which I have different accounts for different goals. I have my kids' investment accounts. I have my own investment accounts. I have my, yeah, so each of the accounts I have has a purpose. And so similarly to you, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, where do I start? Think about how you spend money. Think about your goals for saving and investment. Think about if you have goals for your kids, if you do have kids, you know, you can structure your accounts that way. Are you saving to buy a house, start a business for a vacation, right? And that way you can give each account a name and it has a purpose. And every time you look at that account, you know exactly what it's for. And it, it can kind of help you mentally 
adjust how you're spending around it. And if you're just all over the place because you're working on your discipline and your motivation, then you can lock these accounts (laughs) (laughs) or put them at banks where you don't have a check, you don't have a debit card to cash them out. All you have is an automatic deposit that goes in there that puts money in. You can't easily spend it. That's right. And that's what I also did was I was reading about high yield savings account and I started looking around and being in Canada, I found one that was with EQ Bank. So my main bank is with Royal and then I have EQ Bank now. And that's the one where I have no access to unless I have to manually log in and transfer money out, which is that extra step I really won't do. And that's become my savings over there. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm putting my emergency savings, which I've started. And things that are like short-term, for example, our car insurance that comes up every year, my nursing license that comes up every year. I don't like getting hit with big lump sum bills that's that's due once a year. So I'm tucking some money inside in there and making a small little extra interest on it as it builds up and waits for me. So it's uh, creating, I think in your book, you called it digital envelopes. Because I'm such a paper pen person. I used to physically take cash out and put it in an a paper envelope and stick it in my drawer. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and that works for some people. Some people that approach works for them because when they see the cash, it's harder for them to spend it. So some people, they see cash and it's easy to spend because it's like, wow, what's this just paper? For, for some people seeing that money get smaller and smaller in their hands <laughs> is like a motivation for them to say, you know what, I'm, I'm done spending. I'm not spending anymore. So depending on the individual, that cash envelope approach can work or it may not work. Yeah. For me, I ended up spending the cash and still using my cards. <laughs> so it didn't work for you. And that's fine, right? Because, you know, one of the things I always say on the podcast here is that when it comes to finding an approach that works best for your finances for budgeting, there is no one right way. A lot of people will say this is the best way, but I disagree that there is a best way. There is no best way. The best way that works is the one that fits into your lifestyle, fits into your personality, fits into how you behave, right? So the cash envelope system Someone might say it's the best way, but it might be failing for somebody else. And as a result, they start thinking to themselves, wow, I can't even use the best way to budget. So I'm bad with money. So yeah, it's all about eliminating that idea of being bad with money because you're not doing something the way everybody says you should do it. It's about doing things in a way that works for you and creating your own hybrid model of all these different things so that it works best for you. Like I use a spreadsheet to budget. And a lot of people are like, wow, that's so that's so old school. That's a relic. Like that's I could never make it work. And they struggle to use a spreadsheet, but I love the spreadsheet. So it really depends on what works for you, what you are going to be compelled to use and check in often. That's super, super key. So keep that in mind. There's no right way about the way you pursue your wellness. The right way is the way that works for you. Yes. And that's what I did not realize off the top, like I just tried following all these different systems that weren't working. And I figured, well, maybe I'm just bad with money. So I would turn it off and be like, okay, whatever. I'll just go continue living my life and not give it my focus. But after I read your book, I just shifted my mindset. And I was like, hey, I can do this. And I don't know why I took so long to do it, but I'm here today. And (laughs) things are looking really bright, even in just two months. 
Wow. And, you know, one thing that I, I really want to highlight for folks who are listening is that, Mel, your journey, you have a great job. You were, you were working full time. You're working part time now. You're making a good amount of money, but you were still struggling with saving money, with paying off debt, even though you had that consistent income coming in. And that might be the case for a lot of people listening, but it could also be for someone listening that, you know, you don't have the income and you are struggling to earn more money. But regardless of where you are with your finances, I think once you set that intention, right? Mel, you wrote that letter to yourself. Once you decide that you want to pursue wellness, you're going to find ways to make it work based on your own current circumstances and be able to start to see the progress, even if you're taking small steps. Because over time, those small steps add up into big giant stride. So don't be discouraged. And there's so many instances on the podcast of women who have talked about turning their finances around with no income, starting out with really low incomes, with consistent incomes, with high incomes. There was the podcast episode I did not too long ago of the lady who had a great income, but also had $2 million in personal debt. Oh my. Um, so leverage other people's situations to inspire you, but also realize that in your own situation, you too can make progress regardless of what it is. So Mel, you also shared some things that you were doing as you were getting radical about your financial wellness, right? You talked about cutting back on subscriptions, your cell phone, your credit score. Tell me more. I went on a mission. <laughs> my, my husband had to hear about it day and night as I threw out every single detail that flitted through my mind. But it all <laughs> paid off. Without working extra hours, I found extra money. Isn't that crazy? I didn't wow. know money was there the whole time. It was just sitting there doing its own thing because you didn't tell it what to do. Exactly. So the first thing I did was I had no idea why my cell phone bill was at 179 a month. And that was my plan. I was like, this, there's just no way this could be at this high all the time. And I never questioned it because it was automatically paid for my visa. And I had a mental block. So I didn't even look at my visa itemized transactions. I was looking at the big number at the bottom going, how did it get here? But mm -hmm. all I had to do was just look down at the numbers and figure out how I got there. And that's crazy when mindset, when there's a block, it, the answer is there, but you can't see it. So when I went on my little mission, I called the cell phone company and I was like, this is way too high. You have to get it right down for me. Just tell me your best package or I'm just going to have to leave. And they got it. And the package I'm on now is $100 cheaper. So I don't know how long I've been wow. paying extra $1,200 <laughs> a year towards my cell phone bill for. So, And all it was a single phone call to talk about. It actually took three because. Three phone calls, okay. But that was still phone, worth saving $1,200 though. Yes. The first phone call, the guy did not remove a couple extra add-ons. So I called the second, even though my bill is cheaper, I was not satisfied. I'm like, there's an extra $40 on there. So I called back a second time. I said, you're going to credit me back this thing that the guy did not do the first time. So she credited it back the 40. So my next bill was uh, lower down to, I think it was down to 70s. But because of the cutoff billing cycle of when I called to get that credit back and remove the add-ons, there was still an additional like 17 bucks. And I called back a third time to get that back. To I'm get like, your money. <laughs> on a mission. All I could hear was Bola's voice going, it's your money. Make it work. It's not working. It's working for them. <laughs> yes. That is, 
you know what? That is so true. And that's something I tell myself all the time. Listen, you know how hard I work for this money? You know how hard you work for your money, Mel? It just cannot be doing whatever it wants to do. It needs to have some guidelines, some rules, right? You can't just be losing, you know, the money can't just be losing its mind while you're toiling and struggling and killing yourself to earn it. No, you're going to follow the rules. (laughs) I didn't even have to earn that extra hundred. It was there. I was spending it, but I found it. So what I did with the extra hundred, instead of spending it, I created a new emergency saves fund and it automatically goes into emergency savings now. So you repurposed it. Wow, that's great. So I repurposed it because I was used to not spending that cash. So I'm like, well, if I'm used to not having that extra hundred, I'm not going to just suddenly have it so I could go and, I don't know, do something. It just disappears. Wherever it goes, Mm -hmm. it disappears. So I repurposed it into the emergency fund and which brings up a really interesting topic. In your book, you have listed out the step-by-step, and one of them was, if we don't have an emergency fund, we will continue the cycle of debt. Yes. And yes, and that's uh, controversial. (laughs) Yes, it totally hit me because I'm like, yeah, if something happens back on the visa, it goes or out of the line of credit, it goes. Yes. I will. And more than anything, I will feel like a failure. Like I just can't get ahead. So I've start I've started the emergency fund now. That's that. super smart that you did that. And that that is a little controversial because a lot of people feel that if they have a credit card that has a line of credit, then they can use that as an emergency fund. But at the end of the day, it's it, my belief is that that, you know, it's not money. Well, this is a fact, not a belief. It's it's not money that you own. It's not your money. And you are leveraging that money at a cost and that cost is interest, right? It's it's not free. And even if, you know, some people will argue and say, well, I have a 0% offer for the first XYZ months. Credit card companies, they're smart. When they're giving you these offers, these special introductory rates, whatever incentives they're giving you, it's not being done blindly. It's done with marketing and research behind it that where they have spent millions and millions of dollars to really understand what your behavior patterns are and to really understand for someone who fits your profile, what are the chances that you're going to pay off that balance within that 0% introductory timeframe, right? They know what those numbers are and they know that, you know what, we can take a chance that we give this person this money and we know that there's a 90% chance they're not going to pay this off within that window of time. And then we're going to charge them the highest amount of interest that we can possibly charge them to take on that line of credit, to give them that money for them to take on that debt. So having cash, building up your emergency savings is a way to give yourself peace of mind about being able to cover situations that may not be planned. And one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of times credit cards can change your credit limit, right? Based on your credit, based on lack of use in activity on a credit card. And let's say you have $10,000 on a credit card to cover a $10,000 emergency and you try to use it, but then they've reduced your line of credit. Then you are stuck because you don't even have access to that money, which was not yours to begin with. So having cash, even if it's only $100 or putting aside $50 into an account every month, every two weeks to build up that emergency savings is so important. I, I think there's a quote in the book that says cash is queen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Somewhere at the end of the book. And that is, yes, super important. So that's my spiel on that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very, very useful spiel because it just lit the light bulb where I'm like, how did I miss this? <laughs> I was like, the reason why I would go back into the debt and then feel like a failure and then just 
throw my hands up and say, forget it, I give up, is because of that. All I had to do was create a simple emergency fund. And I'm like, oh, oh, how did she make it so simple? And I missed it for all these years. <laughs> so I'm excited with that step. And then mm -hmm. combing through and just making the simple changes with my spending, being very mindful of my spending, cutting my visa payment down, renaming my bank accounts, creating a new structure, I somehow also found an extra $500 per month I don't, well, I don't have to use. So what I've done was wow. I started putting that 500 onto my line of credit. So in the last couple of months, I paid off another thousand. And just seeing, there's something, once it hits the thousand and the 10,000 mark, when that number's up, there's just some sort of huge relief when you see it go down. Like for example, yeah. 41,900, even though you're only a hundred off of 42,000, that 41 makes the difference, like just in terms of feeling hopeful. Mm -hmm. And then when I put the 500 on, I was down to 41,400. This month I'm on track to get it down to 40,900. So instead of seeing 42 or 41, I'm now seeing 40. I feel like I'm trending in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So that feels really, really good to just find this extra money that I, I always had, but didn't use it to my advantage. Mm -hmm. And then I also canceled many subscriptions and I had no idea I was paying 300 a month because Apple iTunes would just send you these little emails going this much got charged and that much got charged, but I never sat down to add $300 it in iTunes. I know. I don't know even what. So I went in and it, it was a lot of educational apps. My child was supposed to use. And oh. So I had to sit him down and be like, are you actually reading off this app? Are you doing the math games? Are you playing this? Are you doing that? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, cancel, 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 cancel. And there were some apps that I was using. I don't feel like it was worth my $10 a month or $3 a month or whatever it was. I was like, I'm not using it enough. I don't need to just have it there. I can always download it when I actually need it. So I went and unsubscribed to a bunch of stuff. And now I'm down to $80 a month, but there are things I actually use. Wow. And you know what's one thing you can do that I have on my kids' iPads is you can set up a feature that's called ask for permission so that if they try to download an app that costs money, it'll mm -hmm. send you a, an alert and say, and it'll say, do you give permission for so-and-so to download this on their iPad? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's it's now I have to enter my password and no one has my passcode, not even my husband. So if he was feeling generous. It's not, he doesn't even have my passcode to approve anything right now. <laughs> so another thing that you, you kind of alluded to right now that I'm going to ask you about is you talked about, you know, the 40, 40 something thousand dollars of debt and you had a business that unfortunately did not survive the yes. pandemic. And now you have the debt from that business that you're paying down. Can you tell us more about just navigating that last year, having to shutter your business, how that impacted you and how you're just staying motivated to pay off the debt, even though the business is no longer around? Yes. Well, prior to even starting that, I had, aside from a simple mortgage, which is, I'm either paying mortgage or I'm paying rent. So that one was just a wash for me. I didn't have a line of credit. I was like zero on the line of credit. Now, life was great, but I got restless. And when I quit being a realtor, I wanted to do something else where I could control my hours better. So I went back to school. I, I paid extra for training here in town in Vancouver. And I flew to Florida for cosmetic tattooing. And 
that was quite a pretty penny paid. And then I had to set up the space and buy all the equipment. And I like to buy nice things. So I would pay a little extra for, <laughs> for the more comfortable bed for my clients. The sheets were more comfortable. The quality of the ink had to be top notch. So it would never turn orange or green or purple or blue. My, none of my colors ever changed because I did all my research. The blades I used were, were super sharp and I did not buy cheap blades. So it all added up. And then I ended up owing $40,000 at the end of all that. What was helpful was when I was able to work, I would get a few hundred dollars in, but because I didn't have a money plan, I didn't automatically put it back to my line of credit. It just sat in my regular savings, which I've now renamed receivables and payables, and it just disappeared. So had I had a better re debt repayment plan, I think that would have been tackled better. So that was uh, an oversight on my part. And because the money was coming in so small, it felt like nothing. Like by the time I bought my materials and it was on my visa and I had to pay my visa, what I had left over was just like a hundred or 200 here and there. So I didn't feel like it was even worth the effort at that time to put back onto my line of credit. So I left it in my savings, which went onto my visa, which disappeared. So now I don't, see that line of credit as a big heavy like it is a financial burden but I am emotionally not attached and I think that's what mm -hmm. keeps me motivated I think once I can get the negative feelings out of the way look at ads just pen on paper and mark it down just like a to-do list it keeps me motivated to keep going because now I'm not upset about it and mm -hmm. I have a plan about it and I can watch the trend go in the right direction. And because that line of credit was taken out for the business loan, I don't have a reason to add more to it. To it. So, so it's just always going down. That's right. And what I've done was because it was a line of credit, it was unsecured to property. It was at 5.3%. So I went back to the bank after my last email to you, I went to the back to the bank. I'm like, I need to get this rate down. What's my best way. And when I went to the bank, I sat down with one of their in-house financial planners who does not sell mortgages. She doesn't sell it mutual funds. She doesn't sell anything. She just works on investment and wealth building. And she says the, well, the only way to get that down is to secure it against a property because then the bank doesn't have the risk. So knowing I have a good history of payments, my credit score is really, really good. And our assets, our, our houses and our, our retirement funds and stuff is way more than what I owe. They could get it down to 1.3%, which means like I was paying $200 a month in interest, interest alone, alone, alone. So with, and that was at 5% and now it's down to one point something. So I can still pay that and I can with the new cash flow I can afford to pay a little more cash flow out mm -hmm. into my line of credit and more of it is now actually going to principal so now I actually have a debt repayment plan that is workable with a light at the end of the tunnel there's an end date in sight which feels amazing and I just knowing that I feel like it's motivated me first is to ditch the negative emotions because it is what it is get it on pen and paper so I can just see it as it is in black and white and then knowing there's an end in sight that is manageable. That is amazing. I, I love that. I love that. Just the idea of removing the emotion. Because a lot of people, when they look at their debt, they're like, you know, there's so much emotion at attached to it. There is the degree I'm not using. There is the dress I bought, but 
it was cheap and it's not, I don't even have it in my closet anymore. I've never worn it. There's a this, there's a that. There's so much emotion that people associate to their debt that they feel guilty every time they look at it. And sometimes they don't even want to look at it. But I love how you talked about being objective and removing the emotion and just saying, okay, you know what? This is not something that's going to keep going up, right? It always has to go down because I'm not charging more to it. So let me just focus on making the payments. And the fact that the consistent theme here, and this is something that is a takeaway for everybody listening to this right now, is that you've always tried to figure out how can I make this a better situation for myself by calling someone, for by talking to someone, by, by asking for reduction. So if you're listening to this, your takeaway from this podcast, if you only do one thing, is as soon as this is done, pick up your phone. Well, before you pick up your phone, take a look at all of your subscriptions, all of your lines of credit, all of everything, and see where there might be opportunities for you to pick up your phone and call your lender, call your service provider and say, hey, listen, can I get a better deal? Because 5% to 1% mail, that's a huge cost savings over the life of that loan. And the fact that you can now take that money that you were paying in interest and now put it to more quickly accelerate your debt payoff is a big freaking deal, especially because of how interest compounds. That's right. And the loan that I had before was prime plus whatever it was. And as prime goes up and it goes down, I because I was paying blindly onto it. And then I was like, why am I suddenly paying more when it should be going down? And I realized that prime jumped up a little bit and now I'm paying more. Mm. So once I got it secured and locked in and, and refinanced it, it's now going to be at a steady rate. It's not prime plus whatever's fluctuating. So it's much more easier to manage and far more hopeful because I won't suddenly see a month where I pay a lot more. And I'm like, why am I 30 bucks extra? And for those listening, when you say prime, you mean you had a variable interest rate that was adjusting as interest rates change. Well, this has been so great. I appreciate you for sharing. And I'd love for you to just share any pieces of advice you have for someone who is on a similar journey, just getting started, where you were back when you first decided, I'm going to write that letter to myself to turn my finances around. What words of advice or motivation can you share? Find the helpful people. That would be my biggest thing. There will always be somebody helpful. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to be helpful because I've tried to talk to my husband and be like, hey, can you help me figure this out? He wasn't really able to help. I asked my friend's husband who was really good at his own investments. I'm like, can you explain things to me? And he's like, sure. But I felt like I wasn't really getting it. I would go to the bank and I'm like, I need to talk to somebody. And they just set me up with a mutual funds guy who did automatic deposits, but I did not have a plan. And even calling back to the bank trying to lower the loan or my cell phone company to lower the rates, there will always be somebody who will help you. If you are not happy with the answer you're getting, hang up, give it a day or two, call back because somebody else Mm -hmm. will be on the other line and somebody may just have a different mindset or desire to actually help you. So keep looking until you find that helpful person. That's great advice. And, you know, sometimes it may not be people, it may be resources that you can check out that can definitely help as well. And Mel, you have to tell me what is your clever girl superpower? (laughs) My clever girl superpower? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. What's the superpower I feel? I can tell you one, you're a good negotiator. You've got all these deals. 
<laughs> I was not always, I, I think my superpower now is picking up the phone. I did not like voicemails, emails, or phone calls, or talking to people in person. And my, and this whole experience has pushed me that I will pick up the phone and call anybody now. I will call the government of Canada if I have to. And I did. I did. I called CRA and, and asked them how I find out my registered savings limit and my personal tax free savings account contributions. <laughs> and I would never have done that even two months ago. Wow. So my superpower is picking up the phone and calling and calling and calling until I get my answer. It takes getting comfortable. It takes practice. But once you get it, you become the master of it. So I'm glad that, you know, that's something that you're doing well and you're comfortable doing. Yes, I have to get comfortable. And if that's one thing I would ask people to take away is to, to get comfortable with what you're not comfortable with, because that's the one missing piece that will excel you and propel you further to be the difference between thriving and just living. Mm, that's true. Well, Mel, thank you so, so much for sharing. I don't know if there's a way that folks can keep in touch with you if you have like a public social profile you want to share. Otherwise, thank you so much for being here and I appreciate oh, you. You're welcome. And I don't have a way for people to get a hold of me. However, you know, maybe in like three months or four months or six months from now, i I'd love to pop back on to share my progress because I'm writing everything down and I think I will be further ahead. That will be great. And you can actually keep in touch with Mel because she's part of our amazing Clever Finance community. So if you come on and take one of our completely free courses, these courses are free. There's no charge or anything tied to it. You can find Mel in our Facebook group, maybe. (laughs) Yes, yes, I am in your Facebook group. And what's really exciting is now I'm almost halfway through reading Grow Your Money from the Clever Girl Finance. So I'm getting my information down. I'm doing my homework. So when my GIC matures and I have a a little set of funds unlocked, I know exactly what I'm going to ask for when I get to the bank and it will not be another mutual fund. (laughs) No, we're going to do index funds. (laughs) No, we're we're going to index. We're going to save money on those expenses. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you so much, Mel. This has been great. Thank you, Bola. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.